looking out and I see some, if, if, for those of you who went on the Haiti trip, would y'all just slip your hands up? All right, we had a great group of, a great group of guys and ladies who went down to Haiti, and so we're, we'll have the opportunity to, to hear more from them in the next couple of weeks. They're going to show us some pictures, and I just, I mean, you know, it is really neat, proud of you guys. We actually had a couple more people, uh, the Crow family actually went a couple of, I guess about a month or so before from our church. They went down earlier because they couldn't go on this trip, but it's just really neat to see the, the church involved in a mission, and I appreciate these guys and ladies taking time out of their out of their schedules to go down there and serve. And so I do know of some stories already that I'm looking forward to hearing more about. I heard something about rats, and so I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, anyway, today we are continuing our series, uh, Fearless. And we're talking today about being fearless in the face of death. Now, now that might be, uh, I know that's not a real uplifting subject, but here's the deal. It uh, doesn't matter if you are a person who is, has a disease or if you're a person who's in perfect health. The fact of the matter is before each and every person in this room today, death is waiting. Are you all encouraged? I mean, yes, I mean, and that's a little bit frightening when you think about it. Uh, there's a story about Paul Azinger, who is a professional golfer, and he was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 33. He had just not long before he had won the PGA Championship. And he said whenever he got the news, he said, of course, it was a life-changing experience for him. It scared him to death. And here's what he had to say. He said, a genuine feeling of fear came over me. And I get that. He said, I began to realize I could die from cancer. He said, but then another reality hit me even harder. He said, and that is, I'm eventually going to die anyway. Whether from cancer or something else, I'm definitely going to die. It's just a matter of of when but everything I'd accomplished in golf became meaningless to me all I wanted to do was live he said after that he remembered a Bible study given by Larry Moody at one of the PGA Tour events and he said Moody said you know so many of us think that we are in the land of the living moving towards the land of the dying he said we are actually in the land of the dying hoping to end up in the land of the living and you know this is uh, we are moving towards Easter and next week we're going to talk about the passion we're going to talk about Jesus going to the cross and after that we're going to talk about the resurrection we're kind of doubling up on it today talking about how we can be fearless even in the midst of the face of death and you know it's I think it's good for us to begin to understand and to realize that life is not something that lasts forever and if y'all haven't thought about that and I hate to burst your bubble today you ain't, ain't going to live forever. And I'm starting to notice that, you know, more and more. The older I get, the more I begin to realize that, that my life is, is not something that is everlasting. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to live. I mean, in my mind, it's just sort of like, you know, whenever I'm 673 years old, you know, I might, you know, I might, you know, start taking up some new hobbies. You know, I'm not going to live to be 673 years old. Life is short, and, and I think that's a good thing to begin to understand that life is limited. I think that's what the psalmist had in mind whenever he wrote, wrote in Psalm 90:12, Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. And so that's a good thing. But what can happen to some of us or to many of us is that we begin to understand that life is limited and we become fearful. And it begins to dominate our lives, every part of our life to where we're just simply scared, understanding that that we're not going to be around forever. 
And so the question is, when we know that death is facing all of us, well then, how do we live in the face of death a fearless life? And so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the Apostle Paul address that question head on, and he does so in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, This is what Paul wrote. He said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word that we preached to you. So you you were saved by this gospel. Now, the word gospel, I know that you already know what this means. For those of you who know what it means, what does gospel mean? Maybe I just overestimated y'all. Y'all remember what gospel means? Yeah, good news. Good news. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus conquered death. That's really good news. And that is news that can apply to your life. And so today what we're going to do is we're just very simply going we're going to look and just see, you know, how can we how can we live fearless lives even in the face of death? And there's three questions that I I think are important for us to ask that I think that most people do ask at some point in their lives. And I want you to see that the basic questions that we have about life after death are questions that the Bible answers and that the Bible gives us hope for. And so we're going to look today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and look there. But while you're turning there, 2,000 years ago, this very basic question, which is this, is, is if, if a man dies, will he live again? It is, it is answered in the Bible. If a man dies, will he live again? Now, my guess is you have answered that question or you've asked that question at some point in your life. And my guess, again, is that you are hoping that the answer is yes, right? I mean, how depressing would that be if I stood up here and said, is there life after death? No, there's not. So good night and let's leave here. Uh, that would be very depressing. But I, what I want you to see today is that the Bible shares with us that there is some good news for us. Now, what happened a couple of thousand years ago? Jesus went to the cross. Man put the Son of God on a tree and crucified him. The darkest day in human history. But the greatest day in human history happened three days later because three days later Jesus got up and he conquered death and you know that has massive ramifications for us and it's because of what took place on that very first Easter that we can face this life knowing that death is before us but we can face this life not being fearful but being fearless Now, what are some basic questions that I think a lot of us ask about about death? The very first question is very simple. Is there life after death? What does the Bible have to say about it? Is there life after death? Now, look in chapter 15, verse number 1. He said, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. And you are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaimed to you, unless you believe to no purpose For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Here's the crux of everything right here. This, if you want to know what what the Christian faith is about, why are we here worshiping today? Why do we hang on to Jesus? Look what it says. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. This is one of the most talked about questions in all of human history. Is there life after death? Is there any reason for us to hang our hat on the fact that we can live forever after this life? Absolutely. Now you might say, well, how in the world can you say something like that? Because of Jesus' resurrection. Now if you have your Bible, you can look in verses 3 through 5 there. It's the very essence of the Christian's belief in life after death. A group of guys did not just get together one day and say, let's write a really cool story and we're going to call it the Bible. And we're going to see how many, how many suckers we can get to believe in this story and won't that be fun. It's not what happened. These guys wrote about history, what took place. What's really interesting is, you, know, you may not know this, but the Bible in the Old Testament prophesied that a Messiah, a Savior was going to come. 700 years before the birth of Christ. And they said this Messiah, the Savior is going to come. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to die for people. That they might have life. Now where does it say that? Isaiah 53 verses 5 through 9. T tell me y'all, this 700, remember, 700 years before Jesus was born. Does this sound like anybody? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now you can read on what the rest of those verses say. Understand this. When Jesus went to the cross, did you know that it was not an accident? Did you know that? It's not like a group of guys got together and, and overpowered Jesus. Hundreds of years before, how many years before was that verse written? Y'all remember? 700 years before. Even going back to the book of Genesis, it was prophesied that a Savior is going to be needed for man. And what was that Savior going to do? He was going to lay down his life to pay the debt of sin for man. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, on that very first Easter, some ladies went to the tomb to embalm the body of Jesus. And what happened when they arrived? They show up, the tomb is open, and there is an angel sitting outside of the tomb. Now, I know for us, we read that story a million times, and we look at that and think, how neat is that? Let me tell you something, that would absolutely scare me to death. There's a man sitting outside, his robes are you know, glowing like lightning, and he has some word to say to these ladies. Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6, he says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Is that an amazing story? That is an absolutely wild story. And I can look at that story, and just like you can, and he said, that is a really cool story. I like the story, but how can I know that's true? I mean, that is such a great story. But how do I know that story is something that I can place my hope and my trust in? Well, if you're in a court of law, one of the greatest pieces of evidence that you can have in order to prove your case is to have eyewitnesses. And the question is, were there eyewitnesses to the account of Jesus being raised from the dead? 
Do you know that, again, this isn't just some story. There are people who actually saw Jesus come to life again. In verses 5 and 6, look what it says. It says, he appeared, after his resurrection, he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Paul was able to say, hey, Jesus rose from the grave. How do we know this? Because people saw him. If you don't believe me, you can go talk to those people. It's hundreds of people who actually saw Jesus. And then years later, Paul was to see Jesus himself. Now, that's hard for me to get my, you know, get my hands around. You know, that, that somebody's actually conquered death. Um, now, I know that there's some people, I and mean, some of you might know people who say, I know a guy who died before, and he came back to life. And if you know that, don't raise your hand if you know that. I mean, I, those are neat stories. But here's, and I'm just such a skeptic. And I'm like, hey, how long was he dead? Now, I think that's neat. If that happens to me, I would like to come back to life too. But how long was he dead? Well, he was dead for seven minutes. Dude, that ain't dead. Uh, dead is like three days. Now, if you have somebody who's been dead for three days and he comes back to life and talks about it, I'm interested in that story, okay? Now, that's what's going on in our text. Jesus conquered death. Dead for three days, and it's not like you know, six guys who hang out together shooting pigs tell this story. I mean, it is hundreds of people saw Jesus. Is there life after death? And sometimes when I hear a story that's too good to be true, in my mind, I say, before I'm going to believe that, i got to see it. Any of you all that way? You know, you hear something, say, that, that's a good story, but before that's true, I'm going to have to see that with my own eyes. It's the way we're geared. You know, I mean, I've, there's a lot of things that we haven't seen with our own eyes that we do believe, you know? A lot of, a lot of things. Um, I know, you know one thing I thought of just automatically is I thought about man walking on the moon. I mean, you look outside and you see the moon up there and you think, but that's crazy. Now, it's just, we don't even think about it anymore. Why don't we think about it that much? Well, it's because... You know, what, July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong stepped off, stepped off, stepped off the uh, lunar capsule and put his foot on the, you know, on the ground on the moon. Some of you actually watched that happen on television, right? Um, I didn't. I was way too young. But some of you older people did. And so, and so but, you know, because so many of y'all saw that happen, you don't question it. Well, but people saw it, so we know that it happened. Now, that's what Paul is saying in our text. He's like, I can't believe some of you are questioning the resurrection of Jesus because so many people saw it. And he says in verse number 12, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? How long ago did the resurrection take place? It's been 2,000 years. Let me ask you a question. Why would we even believe that? Why do we believe it? Because there is an account of the resurrection of Jesus. There is a history behind it where men and women gave up their lives because they've been touched by the power of a resurrected Jesus. There are some of you here today who believe in the resurrection of Jesus because your lives have been radically transformed and changed by a living God. And you look at that, you say, you look at my life, let me tell you something, there is a risen Savior. What's the basic question man asks? Is there life after death? And we all ask that question. What's the answer? Yes, 
Scripture tells us. There's verification for it. And some of you have been touched by a risen Savior. All right, here's another question I want you to look at. I think it's really important. If there is life after death, what's it like? You know? I mean, what, are we going to be sitting in a cloud playing harps? I hope not. But, you know, what is it like? Well, I want you to look with me in verse number 20. It says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And then in verse 35, he says, but someone will say, well, how are the dead raised? Is that a good question? I mean, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? I like that question. What am I going to look like? And then Paul says, you foolish one, what, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the future body, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants. Not all flesh is the same. I mean, there's one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. And, and you can read on. But in verse number 20, Paul tells us, he said, listen, do you want to know what, what you're going to be like if, if you die and then you're raised from the dead? He said, the best example there is, he says, look at Jesus. Jesus is, he says, the first fruits of those who passed away. First fruits means that Jesus is the example. You don't know what you're going to be like whenever you die and then you're raised to the dead. So look at Jesus. First uh, John 3, 2 says, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So what, what, what happens when we die? What, what happens to a person when they die? We look at Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, into, into, my, into your hands I commend my spirit. When Jesus died, what happened to the body of Jesus right after he died? What did they do with his body? They buried it. Was Jesus in the ground then? Or was he in the tomb? Well, his body was, but his spirit was not. He went to be with the Lord. Uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there, you remember the thief that was next to him and he believed in Jesus? You remember what Jesus told him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hey, in 7,000 years you're going to be with me in paradise. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, we are confident that to be absent from the body is to be present where? To be present with the Lord. I like that. Let's, what happens just when we die? We go to be with God. Our bodies are simply a shell of who we are. It's like, it's like a glove means nothing until a hand's in it. Right? Take the hand out, the glove doesn't do a whole lot. Same thing's true with the body. The body's simply a shell of who we are. When the spirit is within the body, it's then active, it's animated. But when the spirit leaves then the body's simply a shell. Now here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's understandable if you look at that and say, again, nice story, but that's a little bit over, over the top for me. To believe that somebody actually comes back to life, that whenever you die, that your spirit goes to be with the Lord. That's too difficult for me to hang on to. And you know, I thought about that. You know, there's a, Again, there's a lot of things that happen in the natural world that are pretty over the top, if you think about it. And, I mean, can you imagine trying, if you were not from earth, and I, some of you, I don't think some of you are, but if you're not from earth, and uh, somebody's trying to explain to you how children come about, that, y'all, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, you take, you know, you take the seed from a man and it, 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 to an egg of a woman, and then it, the cells multiply, and then inside of a woman, a, a, a something grows, and then nine months later, a, a human comes. That is crazy. I mean, I hear that, and I think that is, 
that's alien stuff. You know, that's science fiction. And yet that happens every day. Don't you think if God has the ability to create life that we actually see happen, that's really difficult to understand. Don't you think God has the ability to raise somebody from the dead? And not only does he raise us from the dead, he raises us into a new body. Uh, Paul said in verse 35, someone someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Paul said that was a foolish question. And I kind of like the question because I do wonder... Well, if I'm not going to have this body, what, you know, if I'm going to have this body, you know, what kind of a body am I going to have? Well, you can have a perfect body. I mean, wouldn't it stink if you lived to be like 80 years old and then you, see, you're just going to pick up right where you left off? Oh, you know, that ain't good. You know, so I want, I want a different body than this one. So God says this, he's going to give you a new perfect body. Now, again, because I worry about things, then I start thinking, will people recognize me if I have a new body? You know, if I, if I don't have this one and I go to heaven, I, it's like, no, really, it's me. Well, I, I believe people are going to be able to recognize us. Now, why do I think that? Because I look at Jesus again. Remember Thomas in the Bible, doubting Thomas? Didn't believe Jesus had been raised from the dead. So Jesus shows up to Thomas after the resurrection. You know what Thomas did? John 20, 28, Thomas sees Jesus for the first time, doubting Thomas, and he drops to his knees because he recognizes Jesus. And he says, my Lord and my God. Is there life after death? Basic question men ask. Yes. We are given testimony of it in Scripture. We see testimony of it in our own lives today. What are we going to be like once we are raised from the dead? Look at Jesus. You're going to be new. No more heartache. No more crying, mourning, pain, no more death. You'll be a new person. You'll live forever. But this is the final question, and this is the one that's really most important. Then how can we attain life after death? If there is life after death, how do we get it? Well, look in verse 56, and I'm also going to read verse 57. It says, now the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. If eternal life was a commodity that you could purchase, how much would you be willing to pay for it? If you know that eternal life is real, I mean, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have proof of it, tangible, you're able to see it, how much would you be willing to pay for eternal life? Let me tell you something. I believe everybody in here today would be willing to pay everything that they've got in order to have it. Say, live forever? I, you know, I'm not going to invest in that, in that new car. I'm going to put all of it towards having eternal life. You're going to pay whatever you can to get it. I read a story about a pastor named Robert Russell in Kentucky, and he and his wife were in Pennsylvania. Uh, they were driving. They got in a serious car wreck. They both ended up in the hospital. His wife was going to need surgery. He was looking pretty serious. And uh, Robert, the pastor, got really frustrated because he was 400 miles away from home. Uh, all the doctors that he knew, everything, he was just out of, he was out of, uh, out of their realm. And so he was nervous and want to make decisions without his doctors. His personal doctor found out about it. And what he did was rather remarkable and generous. He, he had a private jet fly 
from Kentucky to Pennsylvania, and when they got his wife stable, they picked her up and her husband and flew them back to the hospital in Kentucky. Everything worked out well. Uh, they were all fine after, after a surgery. But then after it was over, the pastor went to the doctor and said, that was such an unbelievable, generous thing that you did. I want to pay you back for it. And the doctor said, that's really kind. It was a gift. He said, and plus I want you to know you couldn't afford it. Now, you know, with, with eternal life, let me tell you something. For one, it's not for sale. But even if it was, it's like that guy. You can't afford it. See, heaven is a place of perfection. It's where God dwells. And we forfeited our right to be there when we stepped into sin. And so that means that, that we are in, and we're in trouble. Because without, without Jesus, we don't stand a chance. We can't be there. The only way that eternal life can be purchased is through the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. I can't be a perfect sacrifice. The only one who fits that bill is Jesus. I mean, again, in verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we receive life after death is it's through Jesus. That's it. Now, I can only think of a couple of reasons why anybody would reject that offer. One is because we love sin too much. We don't want to give up the way we live right now. I, I like the kind of stuff that I'm doing. If I follow Jesus, I can't, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. And so we love sin too much. I think that's one reason people reject it. I think another reason we reject it is because of pride. We think there is no way that, that there's life after death. That's too fantastic of a story. And so I think because we are prideful, we like to think that, that our minds are greater than anything else, that if anything's beyond my reason, then it can't be true. I want to finish up with Paul Azinger again, the golfer that I talked to, to you about at the beginning. Here's what Azinger said. First of all, he, 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 by the way, he recovered from cancer, continued to play golf on the PGA Tour, had a very successful career, but he wrote this. He said, I've made a lot of money since. I've been on the tour. I've won a lot of tournaments, but that happiness is always temporary. The only way you'll ever have true contentment is in a personal relationship with Jesus. He said, I'm not, I'm not saying nothing ever bothers me. I'm not saying that I don't have any problems but I feel like I have now found the answer to the six-foot hole. So when I die, I know I'm going to be with Jesus. I really believe when it comes down to it, you know what we're looking for the answer to? Really, everything. We're looking for an answer to the six-foot hole. All of us are. Is there, is there hope beyond that hole in the ground that we're going to one day occupy? You better believe it. That is why we will celebrate Easter. Because Jesus conquered death. If a man dies, will he live again? Scripture says yes. The question is, will you believe it? See, it's up to you to receive it, to place your trust there. Thank you.